Ephesians chapter 5. If you would, stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word. (coughs) As we look at the subject of marriage, how can I think about marriage and still live the good life? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, this is God's word to his people. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, (coughs) let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word to his people. We're thankful that he's preserved it for us, kept us so that we can read it together. Let's pray once more tonight. Father, as we enter into the preaching moment, there's been 101 things that can distract us in the moments to come. We just ask that you would... Clear our minds, our hearts, even our attention spans to be able to zero in on what your word has to say that we might understand what we should be looking for or how we should be in our marriage. And so as we think about what it looks like to be married, we want to be submissive to your word. So help us to see it, help us to comprehend it. And then, Father, the most difficult part, help us to apply it and live it out as we either are experiencing being currently married or hoping and praying to be. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, our reasons for getting married should match God's expectations for marriage. You would say that's not a very profound statement. Our reason for getting married should match our match God's expectation for marriage. And, and that, I would argue, is 100% true, but in theory, not in practice. You know, marriage as an institution has fallen on hard times. Uh, consider the following average age of people getting married for the first time, which is sad that we have to qualify it this way, but the average age of people married for the first time from 2014 to 2018 was 27.9 for women and 29.2 for men. And I would argue that if it weren't for um, the church continually seeming to launch out young couples into getting married, uh, that average age would be much, much higher. But it is creeping up inside of the life of a local church. Also consider this. You might say, oh, well, that's no big deal, David. People are just, you know, they're waiting longer to get married. I mean, that's, we could have a whole sociological argument about advancing the age of adolescence we act like kids longer where we don't grow up until later in life that might be the issue well think about this in 2018 15 percent of people 
25 to 34 live with an unmarried partner compared to 12% a decade earlier. So from 2008 to 2015, or from 2008 to 2018, saw a 3% jump. 9% of Americans under 25 live with a partner compared to those who are under 25 that are married, 7%. So more people now under the age of 25 live together unmarried than those who are their counterparts that are married. Think about this. In 2008, the average was 5% who were under the age of 25 lived together unmarried versus 14% who were. That's a complete reversal. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you tonight. When I became a college pastor, I hated weddings. I hated going to them because more often than not, they were boring. I'm being honest. The service was short because our pastor is bright, but the receptions were long and tedious, and I could pick 101 different locations that I would rather be in. Couple that with the fact that more people were starting to get married in the fall, and that was setting into prime football watching time, probably played a role in that as well. I used to say from this pulpit that it was great for you to get married, and I really didn't care if I did it or not, and uh, didn't really care, and I can honestly tell you that as a result of our students and being invested in their life and watching them grow together, watching some of them date, watching some of them date and wondering, are they going to stay together? Watching some of them get married that we didn't think were going to make it and they're still happily married uh, has reversed that course of action. Also, I just say this, one way that you combat the culture is not by pointing your finger at it and saying you're bad but launching out people that you would think would reverse the cultural trends. So a lot of times what Christians do is they point their finger like, you guys stink. You shouldn't live together when you're before you're married. You shouldn't live this way. You shouldn't do these things. You shouldn't, and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't, and you shouldn't. But we don't do a very good job of launching people out as good models for why you should be young and married and not living together. So the Lord has actually changed my heart on this, and it's not the most fun thing in the world for me to preach on. Normally, I, you know, I don't want have to unpack for the umpteenth time how a wife is supposed to submit to her husband and how a husband isn't supposed to abuse that. And it's not the most delightful thing. And for some of you sitting in here, you would rather I talk about anything else. But here's the sad reality is if you don't frame the way that you think about marriage biblically— what you will do is repeat what you have seen. That is just the cold, hard truth. You will either apply yourself to what the Scripture says, or you will repeat what you've seen. Because something is discipling you in every area of your life. So, I'm going to argue tonight that one of the ways that we need to reclaim lost ground in the culture around us is by promoting and encouraging a healthy view of marriage that is based on the Bible and not your parents. Now, I don't know all of your parents, and I'm not saying that they're unbiblical, um, but your standard for why you would get married, what you're looking for when you do get married, 
and how you're going to operate inside of that marriage has to be governed by God's word and not what you've lived under your entire life. Why? Because your parents aren't perfect, which hopefully you know. Maybe not. Maybe your parents are perfect and everybody's just perfect and I'm the only one who needs this one. Okay, well, maybe that might be where we're at. So, we're going to do the same thing that we did last week where we talk about the benefits of marriage, we're going to talk about the challenge of marriage, and then we're going to talk about how to apply that in living the good life. So, let's talk about first the benefits. And I'm going to, again, make the argument that when it comes to marriage, there are many benefits, but too often they are thought about in the wrong categories. We as Christians need to move away from thinking of benefits in mere physical or financial or relational benefits. When it comes to the scriptures, it's important to value what God values. So uh, John Acuff famously said, all young Christians believe in the second coming of Christ. They just want the second coming of Christ to come after they got married and got to have sex. You're like, that's uncomfortable. Yes, because it's true. A lot of times, the reason why we think about, when I say, what are the benefits of marriage, 70% of the women and 99.3% of the men said, well, obviously, the benefit of getting married is you get to have sex. It's not, nowhere in Scripture does God exalt sex as the preemptive, preultimate goal of getting married. Because, again, we're more subtly discipled by the culture than we are by the Bible because we spend more time watching Netflix than we do reading the scriptures because we're excited because they announced that the new Tolkien series on Amazon Prime is going to include sex and nudity, and I love Tolkien, and this is an easy way for me to get a cheap thrill. I'm discipled by the culture to think benefit of marriage equals sex. I'm going to argue that the majority of the benefits that happen inside of marriage for living the good life are more relational. Because I don't think that there's a person who's married in this room that would argue that when the relational component of your marriage is strong, your sex life is amazing. And when the relational side of your marriage is struggling and not operating within the bounds of what Scripture says, your sex life sucks. So, let's talk about what it means. How can, let's just two, because we're going to look at the, the wife and the husband, we're going to say what are the benefits, and that oddly enough, the benefits are the same as the challenges. So, let's just talk about the benefit of living in a marriage where there is submission that takes place. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We read that in the 21st century, and everything in us chafes and is like, that is wrong, and no, don't tell me that I have to submit. And that's often because we as pastors have done a poor job of noting that submission is not something that just the wife does in a marriage. Inside a Christian marriage, and notice the words that I'm using here, Christian marriage, inside a Christian marriage, both parties submit to Christ and his direction. So if you're like, oh, I don't have to submit, that's what the wife does, guys. 
you sum, you submit to Christ every day, or you should be, and if you're not, then I'm going to argue that you're not really modeling what a Christian marriage is, and you need to get right with Jesus. And, and I would say, ladies, as you look for uh, who Mr. Right is, or you think you're with Mr. Right, or you think that you found Mr. Right, or some of you now you're stuck with Mr. Right, um, is this man submitting to Christ? Does he submit and follow after Christ? Is the heartbeat of his life that he's going to follow Christ above everything else? Why is that important? Well, read what the next verse says. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So the husband is going to submit to Christ, and as a model, a relational model of what the gospel and Christ's love for the church is, that becomes a benefit because a wife who submits is first and foremost giving an evident sign of her desire to follow Christ above men. When she submits to her husband and his godly leadership, emphasis there on godly leadership, when she submits, she's saying, my heart desire has been radically changed by the gospel. Because in Genesis 3, the, gospel, the, the Bible tells us that one of the effects of fall is that a, a woman is going to try to subvert her husband's authority. And one of the ways that we can tell that a woman has been radically redeemed and saved by the gospel is her desire to do what God tells her to do. Not to be a doormat, not to be weak, Read Proverbs 31, that woman is anything but weak, and we've done a disservice by putting that on coffee cups and journals and not telling women that you can be a strong woman, a strong business leader, a strong, uh, what, pick the occupation outside of an elder, overseer, or bishop in the New Testament. She can do it, and do it well to the glory of God. And that's not a sign that she's not submissive. That's free. We didn't have to go to Proverbs 31. I'm just not a big bit fan of coffee cup theology, if you haven't figured that out. I know some of you are new here. I just go into Mardell just to like, you can't even go over there, because I'm just going to wreck that place. <laughs> yeah. David, why is there a $4,000 charge at Mardell on the church credit card? Just, uh, you remember the story about Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple? That's what happens with me with bad coffee cup theology. You, like... I want all of the ladies sitting in this room, even those that are married, to, to hear tonight, not my voice, but God's voice from his word tell you that being submissive to your husband or future husband does not mean that you are a doormat for somebody to walk all over you. In fact, if that's how you're currently being treated by someone who is not your husband, cut that joker loose. Because she obviously doesn't know what it means to follow Christ. Further, you're like, I did not expect hot takes tonight. Hey, it's December. We've got to keep warm somehow. <laughs> Further, by trusting the Lord and embracing her calling, a Christian wife, listen to this, a Christian wife, Ray Ortland Jr., whew, a Christian wife empowers her husband as no one on the face of the earth can do. She is so secure in Christ. Listen to this, ladies. You're so secure in Christ that she is no longer jealous to establish her identity separate from her husband. She's like, baby, you lead. I'm right there with you. Here we go. I trust you. 
part of the reason why people get themselves into trouble inside of their marriages and they're not willing to submit is because they were so blinded by affection, lust, and wrong thinking in dating that they hitch their wagon to people that they cannot follow because he's not going anywhere. And you get mad at your girlfriend for saying he's a loser. And you're like, no, he's not. I love him and I'll change him. No, you won't. The only people who change people, listen tonight, he will not be changed by you and you will not be changed by him unless the Holy Spirit does the changing. And we got a lot of people who are sitting in Christian marriages tonight trying to fix their husbands and fix their wives and on the brink of divorce because rather than getting the benefits and challenges and understanding them, going into marriage eyes wide open, they're like, love covers a multitude of sins. Yes, when Jesus Christ is the one who's covering them. But when he clips his toenails on the bed at night, or he doesn't pull the blankets in the right position or puts the 83 pillows on the thing, or she doesn't understand the importance of the last five minutes of a football game or the last two minutes, there's got to be Holy Spirit help that helps there. That cannot be done by, I've told you a hundred times, the 83 throw pillows that go on the couch go this way. I've drawn you diagrams, maps. That's not going to work. Submission is not a dirty word. It becomes a dirty word when men use it and women excuse it. When men abuse it, go do this, do that, do what I tell you to do, submit. Tell you what, I will wreck somebody to the glory of God if I hear another brother say, submit or be hit. Yeah, go ahead and hit her. I got no problem starting a jail ministry tonight. And you all, <laughs> that's funny, do it. The only time I ever heard my dad say something, truly it was sinful in what he said, but at the same time was forceful. He pulled me out into the garage and we had a discussion two days before I left to go to Michigan to marry Jessica where he in no uncertain terms told me what would happen if I ever laid my hand inappropriately on my wife, my future wife, or any of my kids. I'm going to tell you this. I'm the firstborn. I'm like, I'm the one who's graduated from college. I'm the one who's not sucking down money off of your bank accounts. We're in the garage, and you're threatening about hitting me? Come on. Like, I'm the good kid out of the group. He's like, it doesn't matter who you are or who you think you are. I will take you out. You should have stopped with me. That way we'll be happier. And I'm tired of women abusing and excusing their non-submissive spirits and hearts because supposedly he won't lead. You won't even let him try to lead. You ain't even giving him a chance. You've already determined he can't. I was listening to a, a, a podcast one time where a caller uh, asked uh, the, the pastor, I, I can't get my, I, I don't know how to, the, the guy said, I don't know how to lead in my house. My wife is brilliant. She's a Ph.D., I, I, I barely got out of school with an eighth grade education. I don't know how to lead. She, I can't read the Bible well like she can. I can't do it. And the pastor said, 
Sometimes it just simply means calling everybody to the table and say, we're going to read the scriptures together tonight, and your mom's going to read the passage for us. But if he's not even here or going to church or plugged into a small group, how can you expect him to lead and you to submit? Okay, let's talk about love, right? Because this is what the command to the husband is, right? Husbands, future husbands, current husbands, we get the easy command, right? Love is easy. Love is an open door. With you, with you, with me, with you. Love is an open door. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh Uh-oh. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he, she might be holy and without blemish. I've always found it interesting that guys want to really harp on uh, wives being submissive to their husbands, but like the paragraph that follows about husbands loving their wives is like three times the length. As Paul goes, hey, like you're going to have to self-sacrificially love your wife. Love here is not the type that we typically see. It's not self-serving. It's not self-seeking. It's self-sacrificial. It seeks to help and minister to the wife above yourself. Guys, you, you, you want to get married? You better start practicing what it means to self-sacrifice. Looking for opportunities to minister. He loves her. This is what Paul goes on to say, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. He, the husband, so those of you who are married, those of you who are engaged, and those of you who are hoping one day to get married, you love her by cherishing her. He doesn't compare her or berate her or say, I wish you were more like her, or I wish you looked like her, or I wish that you had these abilities. No, he delights in her skill sets, gifts, and abilities. He cherishes her, and he loves her by nourishing her. He delights in the woman that God has blessed him with, or with the one that you're hoping that he will bless you with. He celebrates and delights in who she is, And what she does. She's not a burden. It's not inconvenient when she wants to do something. It's not inconvenient that she too would have career goals and aspirations. Sometimes people are like, well, when are you going to move and be a real pastor? I'm like, I am a real pastor. Senior pastors run out of my job because it's too difficult to deal with students can escape to move up. Apparently you don't think that's funny. I do. And I've had people, I've had guys say to me, well, why aren't you going to lead? I said, well, I think number one, the Lord has not called me to lead yet. So I'm a big believer that I'll go where he's called me to go. He's called me to be here, so I'm going to stay here until he moves me. Number two, he's called me here, and he's also established Jess and she has a career, and she's advancing, and she's making inroads at her work. And this is the response I've gotten. I kid you not, I promise you on a stack of Bibles the size of Mount Rushmore, 
Well, brother, she signed up to be a pastor's wife. When you go, she's got to go. I go, hey, Buster Brown, that ain't how this works around here. God has gifted her, skilled her, and given her abilities to reach people that I can't reach. And he's called me here, number one, and he's called her there, number two. That's nourishing and cherishing. It ain't, hey, welcome to the Dave Bot show. Trust me, if it was that, we would never would have gotten married. It's a miracle that we even got married. Y'all think I'm weird here. You don't spend 24 hours of the day with me. You don't see all of the unique things. So like I said in premarital counseling to a lot of people, we're here to prepare you for all the things we can prepare you for until you marry and figure out all the weird things that you all have and do. All, the sh- all of his shoes have to be pointed this way and go that way and look this way and be in this compartment. That's not me, but that's another brother. And his wife had no idea. I'm like, sorry, you're stuck. Like, no divorce for crazy shoe positions. This is how it ro- rolls. Guys, being in a relationship is not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. And that continues after you're married. I think that guys in the Western United States have gotten this transactional idea. Like, I'll be super sweet, super kind, super over the top, do all of these things, woo her, call her, make her believe that I'm somebody that I'm not. Then when we get married, she's stuck, she can't go anywhere, and now she has to do what I tell her to do. And a lot of Christian dudes who operate that way who I wonder if they're really Christ followers. Because that's not biblical. So let's talk about the challenges then, right? You're like, beneficial. doesn't really sound beneficial to submit and then have to love this way. What do you mean challenges? Well, in reality, the benefits bring the challenges at the same time. Think about this when it comes to submission. No one wants to really submit as a normal recourse. Nobody's natural reflex is to submit. We all desire to be self-governing, especially in the United States. You want a perfect exa- example of this? Is uh, dealing with anybody talking about wearing masks. Romans 13 says, submit to governing authorities as God has placed them over you. So, in other words, you submit to the government because God has placed them there. Submitting to the government is not ultimately about submitting to government. It's about submitting to God. So, a lack of being willing to submit to government is a lack of being willing to submit to God. Again, you have to ask yourself, is that person a genuine Christ follower? if they rebel and buck up against the people that God has placed over them. And then he has given you an opportunity to remove them and replace them and change them and do all the things that he has in America. And we get all bent out of shape. There's a free thing on submission for everybody. Nobody wants to naturally submit. And then to have to live your life constantly submitting to Christ, that what he says goes. Couple this then, okay, ladies. Couple this with someone who doesn't lead. Or doesn't lead the way that you think that they should lead. Now those are two separate problems. That doesn't lead. The, the reason why they may not be leading. Is because they are not a man. And I'm not questioning their masculinity. Or whether they can hunt or fish or fix cars. Or do whatever a man is supposed to do. You know what my biblical standard for being a man is. Because I get real sick and tired of this. Uh, I, you know, people are like, well, you don't really hunt or fish, so you must not be a real man. I will out-hunt you, I will outfish you, I will out-shoot you. I grew up in the Midwest, I know how to handle a gun, I, I just don't on a normal day. 
by the way, prove your masculinity by parsing this Greek sentence. That's what I want to say. I don't. I keep my mouth shut because I'll get punched probably. Defining masculinity about what you do or can do or the amount of weight you can lift or the cars that you can fix or the trophy uh, bust that you put on the wall, which you're all from Missouri. We throw them back where I'm from. Like, whatever you want to say and do to say that you're a man. Here's how I define masculinity, ladies. What does God say a man is supposed to be like? If he's not like that, he's not a man. He's still a boy. Because the Apostle Paul says, when I was a boy, I put away childish, or when I was a boy, I talked like a boy, act like a boy, was a kid. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So being a man is not determined by some skill set that the Western world imposes. It's God's standard of what being a man is. If he won't lead, it's because he's not a man, according to God's standard. So my litmus test for femininity and masculinity have everything to do with what does God's word say a man should be like. Now, there may be he doesn't lead, and then there's he doesn't lead the way that I want him to lead. That's a challenge. But if we look real closely, I want you to take up your Bible and look. I checked this before, so we're going to do this again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, unless he doesn't lead like you think he should. Now, just check the footnotes again. It's not there. There needs to be genuine conversation that takes place in marriages, in relationships, about why he's not leading the way that you think that he needs to lead. And maybe sometimes, guys, you just need to be honest enough and say, the reason why I'm not leading the way that you think I should lead is because what you're saying is unbiblical. You need to be, I, I think, like, if you're going to marry someone, you need to marry someone who is willing to tell you the truth of God's word in a loving way, even when it's uncomfortable for you. This often happens in our home when Jess corrects me with scripture submissively. And that's even worse than being outright defied, just by the way. It's the equivalent in marriage to when your parents tell you, I'm not even angry at you. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. Well, geez, why do you have to get all personal? When a wife submits to her husband and calls her attention to the word, she is prophetically speaking God's word back into his hands. More Bible. The answer to the problems that face you in your marriage, in your relationship, even in your desire to be dating, or even if you're dating, not yet engaged. The issue, the way to resolve it is more Bible. Like, who is it? Well, what's your solution for all the problems that are facing our country? More Bible. More Jesus. More Christ. More God. Those are the things that will fix it. But done the right way. Further, the challenge of submission also requires me to say once again that submission is not a call to make your wife a slave. I want you to listen very closely. An arrogant and domineering man knows nothing of the mind of Christ. Say that again. An arrogant and domineering man knows nothing of the mind of Christ. And how can it be hard to love? 
this way. Well, it can be hard to love in a way that's self-sacrificing, especially if you don't feel like that's appreciated. And here I am, killing myself for you. No one's actually doing that, except for Romeo and Juliet, and those people are dumb, and the mistakes they've made. Here I am, killing myself for you, and you don't even appreciate it. Why would I love her that way? We're not even married. Why should I do this? She doesn't even appreciate it. Again, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her as long as she appreciates you and goes over the top expressing her adoration of your ability to love her this way. It doesn't say that. She submits as to the Lord, you love like Christ. Notice that we're getting our eyes off of the person we're married to or dating or engaged to. We're getting our eyes off of each other and getting them up on Christ. Isn't that crazy what's happening in this text? We don't talk about this a lot because we're so worried that everybody knows like what it means to self-sacrificially love and it's okay to submit and you know don't be uh, domineering and all this stuff. Get your eyes off of people who will never be able to fulfill you. I love my wife. She's not perfect. She can be the first, and I would be the, 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 the I would try to be even for, faster to tell you that I am not perfect. And our relationship goes sideways when we start to expect things from each other that can only be fulfilled in Christ. And some of you are in dating relationships right now. Some of you are looking to get married, and you're trying to find the answers to the problems you're currently facing with a relationship with another sinner. That is a terrible strategy. And the only place I've ever been in the entire world is the Christian church that tells people, no, that's the strategy. I know you got all these problems in your life, all these things that you're facing. Just get married. They'll fix all of them. No. It will compound them. Why? Because of simple math. I'm no mathematologist, but I can tell you this. One sinner coupled with another sinner creates two sinners in a small environment, especially when you first get married and you're poor and you have no money. And we're wondering, why are the sparks flying and bombs busting out of there? Because we told two sinners, if you get married, you'll be able to have sex and everything will be better. No. Because he's still a slob and she still runs to mom every time she's got a problem. And so, boom. difficult but by God's grace right so okay David you're, you're really doing a hard you said marriage has fallen on hard times and now you're coming on the other side of this it doesn't really feel like you're advocating it for it well let's think in terms of living the good life tonight our third point functionally serves as the application section we have to ask ourselves if we are functionally looking for these things in our future spouses do they submit uh, do they have a submissive spirit to Christ both guy and girl, does she have the traits of being a strong Christ follower but willing to submit to godly leadership? Look at the ways that she submits to her pastors. Look at the way that she submits to her parents. Look at the way that she submits to the leaders that God has placed in her life. Look at him. How does he love? Does he love big or am I the only person that seems to ever get any of his love? This is a red flag. If the only person that 
the guy seems to love is you and does not seem to have a big heart and a self-sacrificial love towards anyone other than you. Guys, I love you in the Lord, but cut him loose because he is only there to get what he wants. I was reading Screwtape Letters this week. I came across this section, and I thought that the comment was apt. So uh, Wormwood, writing to Screwtape, says this. For marriage, though the enemy's invention, speaking of the enemy as being God, so marriage is God's invention, has its uses for us on the other side. There must be several young women in your patient's neighborhood who would render the Christian life intensely difficult to him if only you could persuade him to marry one of them. Please send me a report on this when you next write. Guys, I'm telling you, one of the primary ways that the evil one is working to divide you and keep you from serving, because if you've already trusted Christ, it's already a lost cause, but he can derail you for living boldly. And one of the ways that he will do that is by seducing young men to chase after women who are not up to the biblical standards and allowing good, solid Christian women to settle for not good people. What will we look for? I've already found it. I've already found it. Um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I sat across from a coffee table and the second question in our date was, hey, look, like I need to surrender to full-time ministry. If you aren't feeling called to that, and I would even say, if you don't know that you're called to that, this is a colossal waste of time. Yes, I am, but socially awkward. Probably true, but up to that point, I was single. So I'll go on dates. First date. And that was like question one or two. I mean, it was just so off-putting. And then the conversation took an unexpected turn to me because as I was asked, what are you into? What do you like to do? I like to read a lot. I don't know why I was a little shocked by that. What do you like to read? And I started to unpack. And she said, oh, I mean, you know that. And I read that. And I went here this past year. was at this conference. And I listened to these guys and my brother's. My brother is a college pastor, and this is what he's doing. And I remember sitting at that. I could take you there. It's still so real, 10 years removed. I could take you there because I had been sprinting and was mocked and made fun of because I'm the theology nerd, and I really like books, and he's just too bookish, and he's really too serious, and don't go on a date with him. I didn't say be serious. Like 14 people there. They girl, you go on a date with a girl and they went back and they told all their friends like, he's an, he's an idiot. Literally. I had a girl go back and say, he's an idiot. All he, cares, all he wants to talk about is the Bible and theology. I'm like, guys, at the time, right, you're, this is not news to you, but you're 20, 21 years old. 
and you're crushed by that. God's called us to do ministry here. You're not going to be a part of that. I don't want to, I'm not preaching to you a terrible person. Like, here's what God has called me to do. Some of you are in dangerous spots because God has big time major plans for your life and you're about to settle for a second rate relationship because it's commercially easy to be comfortable with your friends than it has to be the weird single person who shows up. Why? Because the church has for too long had an unbiblical view of singleness. I still think my wife is the most beautiful girl on the planet. I think she's way better than everybody else and far better than I deserve. I did not kick my coverage. I didn't bat out of my uh, league. I married out of my spirit. But what attracted me to her was her love and devotion for Christ. That was the feeling and you are about to sell the birthright of your life for a bowl of stew to get by because it's just more comfortable. I don't often quote Sadie Robertson. In fact, I don't know that I ever have quoted her up to this moment. Five seconds of awkward is better than a lifetime of regret. And there are way too many people who are settling into lifetimes of regret because they don't want to go home to another Christmas where your dumb aunt asks you if you're gay. Or your dumb mom. She's dumb if she says this. And you can tell her in the Lord to call me and I will tell her over the phone that she's dumb. When your dumb mom says, why aren't you bringing home a boy? Why don't you bring home a girl? When are you going to get married? When are you going to give us grandbabies? You just go, mom, you're dumb. My life is not about providing you with grandbabies. And if you would read your Bible, you would know that. Now, when you wake up, <laughs> and you have a call me, make sure we're a long way away. You don't have to say it that confrontationally, but you do need to say this. I was reading the scriptures again this week. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Nevertheless, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. It's Christ who lives in you who gets to call the shots. And what he says about marriage matters far more than what your stupid friends say. And I love them in the Lord, enough to call them stupid. And I even share a biblical word, too. If you want to know more about that, read the book of Proverbs. It's not a good compliment. And so, yeah.